Well, over the past three months, I have been ministering from a series I'm calling Grace, the Undiluted Gospel. And this series has been probably one of the greatest honors, one of the greatest privileges of my entire ministry. And I'll tell you why that's been. It's because the messages have been simple, yet profoundly liberating truths, and that they have served as almost like the jaws of life to extract believers out of the mangled wreck of the old covenant ideology. How many of you know if you're trapped in a vehicle, as much noise as the jaws of life might make and as scary as they might be crunching through the metal on the windshield and everything, but ripping your car apart, they're doing that so that they can rescue you, right? And so it's not so bad when you know the end result is I'm going to be rescued. And I believe that's what's happening with this word today. Not just the word that's ministered here at Triumphant Grace Ministries, but all over the world as this grace message is being ministered. It's like the jaws of life extracting people out of the carnage, out of the wreckage, if you will, of just old covenant ideology. It's my hope to wrap up this series probably sometime, I would guess, in mid to late August. There's a few more messages that I want to minister. But today I'm going to add the seventh message to this series. It's a message I'm calling The Persuasive Influence of Grace. And what I want us to see through the message today is this. Trying to restrain ourselves from sinning by using the flesh or the law as our airbag is a recipe for wrecked feelings and emotions. We are justified by grace through faith alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, I was invited into a three-way conversation this past week by a friend of mine. He was having a conversation with a friend of his that I've never met. And guess what they were talking about? They were talking about law and grace. You see, I've been ministering this message of grace to my friend, and as he's been trying to minister to his friend, his friend has not been on too much of the embracing end, the receiving end, if you will. And so as he's having this conversation with his friend, he decided it might be best to invoke my help because I was nearby. And so he put his phone on speakerphone. His friend is born again. His friend loves God with all of his heart. His friend loves to engage in spiritual conversation. And his friend, you can tell, is passionate about God. But his friend is so steeped in the indoctrination of the Old Covenant that no matter how many scriptures I used, no matter how the Spirit was trying to minister through me to reveal the truths of the New Covenant, he refused in a polite way to be able to see the persuasive influence of grace, the undiluted gospel. He said to me these words, he said, if we don't use God's law to keep us from sinning, then what do we use? I said to him, how about the Holy Spirit? I told him, I said, friend, we have a higher law at work in our lives. It's the law of love. A love that is patient and kind. A love that does not envy and it does not boast and it is not proud. A love that is not rude. A love that is not self-seeking. A love that is not easily angered. And I love this one. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. It's a love that does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices when it hears truth. I'm talking about a love that always protects. Don't you love a, a love that protects you? A love that always trusts. A love that always hopes. A love that always perseveres. It's a love that never fails. I'm talking about, friends, God's love for us. The revelation of Daddy's love is what compels us to love Him and to love Him more, and to love our neighbors, and to love strangers, and to love our enemies, and to love our family. The revelation of Daddy's love even helps us to love ourselves. Do you know how many people are trapped in a situation where they don't even love themselves? 
They don't love their ways. They don't love their actions. They don't love their thoughts. They don't love anything about them. I could preach for several hours of the people that I've encountered in life. I mean, what you would think would just be random encounters, but you hear how they're treating themselves. And I won't go into too many details because it takes too long of a time, but people don't love themselves. And the key is not 10 steps to love yourself more. The key is to understanding how much the Father loves you. Once you understand how much he loves you, then it ignites the love that he's already deposited in you. He doesn't just say, well, here, here's love now. Now that you know how much I love you, here's love now. Now you can love other people. No, what it does is it awakens the love that's on the inside of us. It quickens the love that's on the inside of us. I said to him, friend, look, Jesus didn't give up his life for our sins so that he could put us under another set of laws. He didn't do that. He said, you know what, though? He said, love is a command in the Bible. You are commanded to love God. You are commanded to love other people. I said, yes, it's a command, but not in the sense of you better love or else. No. You see, if it were like that, then it would be the same as any other law. You are commanded. Now that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? But it would group itself into the same group of every other law. You see, when you think about when he says love is a command, this is the greatest commandment. What he's saying there is love is a response. Love is a response that comes out of you as you understand how much the Father loves you. Love is our response when we know how deeply we're loved. Grace is the fruit that begins to ripen on the inside of us. What's the result of that? We're more gracious to people when we understand how much grace God has given us. Mercy is our response. Mercy is our reaction when we catch a glimpse of just how merciful Papa God has been to us. What is our response? We're merciful and kind to other people. When I was putting this message together yesterday, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, the law is bankrupt of feelings and emotions. Feelings and emotions all belong to love. As I was pondering that, as I was meditating upon that, I thought the law is just 613 or 10, if you want to reduce it down to that, bony fingers pointing in your face saying, do, 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 no love whatsoever. It won't love you because you obey it. It won't hate you if you don't obey it. It's there for one job, and that is to say, do or don't do. So the law has no feelings, it has no emotions. All the feelings, all the emotions belong to love. And there is one source of this love. That source is Christ. He is the only source of love. Now think about it. If he is the source of love, the only source of love, as we communicate with that love, as that love communicates back to us, do you see what it begins to do to your heart? I love him more today than I've ever loved him. Why? How can that be? Because I'm older in Christ? It has nothing to do with that, friends. It's because daily, weekly, moment by moment, I am discovering how much he loves me. He loves me unconditionally. Now I want to ask you a question that might seem kind of random right out of the gate here, but believe me, it will tie in somewhere along the line. What temperature does water need to be at to boil? Come on. What temperature does water need to be at in order for it to boil? You say, well, Pastor Mark, everybody, pretty much everybody knows the answer to that question. It's 212 degrees. Were you there? Sure you were. But you might be surprised to learn that that is not always true. You see, water boils at 212 degrees at sea level. But if you were to take that same pan of water to the top, to the summit of Mount Everest, and light a fire under it, do you know that water will boil at 186.8 degrees? 
even though that's the tallest mountain in the world and the temperatures can reach 60 to 80 degrees below zero, it still boils at less temperature. Why? Because the outside temperature is not the factor that determines when water boils, the factor that determines the temperature at which water boils is atmospheric pressure. The higher the altitude, the lower the atmospheric pressure, therefore, the lower the temperature water needs to boil. Now, if you were to take that same pan of water and take it to 11.8 miles into the atmosphere, in other words, twice as high as Mount Everest, that water, that same water, would boil at 98.6 degrees, the ideal temperature of the human body. Isn't that amazing? You say, Pastor Mark, what in the world is your point with all that nonsense? <laughs> the lifestyles that believers live. See, this is where we get hung up. We associate our lifestyle with our position in Christ. The lifestyles that believers live or the habits that believers struggle with are not the determining factor of whether or not they remain righteous. Now, I'm all for you acting right and not acting crazy. All right? We don't need an avalanche when we're climbing Mount Everest, do we? No, I'm all for it, friends. But the struggle that believers have, the lifestyle some people want to live in, are not the barometer. It's not the measuring stick, if you will of whether or not you will hold on to your righteousness, keep your righteousness, maintain your righteousness, remain righteous. The factor that determines our righteousness is the persuasive influence of grace at work in our lives. That is what maintains our righteousness. And whether we are on the, the mountaintop or we're in the valley, this grace never leaves us or forsakes us. That's good news right there. Can I just be transparent with you for a moment? Oh, can I just go out on a limb? You left your saws at home, didn't you? Can I just get out on the limb? Can I just be honest with you for a second? I don't actually know what temperature my blood boils at. You could slap me across the face, and I guarantee you my temperature would rise a few degrees, but my blood wouldn't boil. You could spit on my face, and my temperature would go up even more degrees, but I guarantee my blood won't boil. You could wrongfully accuse me. You could mock me. You could defame my character. You could laugh at me. You could sneer at me. You could jeer at me. And even though there is nothing about any one of those things that I would appreciate, I guarantee you my blood is not going to boil. Why? Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not rude. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. And I have had every one of those things done to me, friends. That's so I'm speaking from experience. I've been spit on. I've been slapped. I've been mocked. I've been ridiculed. I've been laughed at, I've been sneered at, I've been jeered at, and probably many times behind my own back. But you know what love does? Love puts their arms around people like that and says, there's pain on the inside of you, there's hurt on the inside of you. And the only thing that can extract that is love. You know, there was a time in my life I thought I could get it out like this, right? With the fist, right? But it's love, friends. I found out it's not the fist. It's love. Love extracts it. Jesus experienced every one of these heartless, verbal, and physical assaults. He was slapped, the Scriptures tell us. He was spit on, the Scriptures tell us. He was defamed and character assassinated. He was mocked. He was laughed at. He was jeered at. He was sneered at. He was lifted up high on a pole. Yet the temperature of his blood remained the same. You say, how do you know that, Mark? 
because of his response. You say, what was his response? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is how you know what's in the heart of a man. It's what comes out of his mouth, especially when he's put under pressure. He just loved them from the cross. Could you do that for your enemy? Come on. Could you love like that? You know, the only way you can is as this revelation of daddy's love keeps building in your heart. It's the only way you can love like that. Jesus loved with a pure love because his daddy loved him with a pure love. And he understood his daddy's love. That's what Jesus said from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do these sound like the words of a man whose blood is boiling with retaliation? No. Do these sound like the words of a man whose heart is as cold and distant as the summit of Mount Everest? Absolutely not. It sounds to me like the persuasive influence of grace being dispensed from the heart of Christ, even from the cross. It sounds to me like unbroken devotion, that nothing could come along and break the devotion that Jesus had with his father and the devotion that he had with his father just spilled out from the cross. Come on, folks, you got to open up your hearts and see this. It's so beautiful. It's more than a man just dying. It's more than just blood being spilled out. This is unbroken devotion of love pouring out from the cross. The one thing that does get my blood near its boiling point, though, is when a believer insists that Christians have to obey the law, the old covenant commandments, in order to remain justified in the Father's eye. I can just tell on the inside of me, I, the temperature is rising. Like that Elvis song starts playing. Lord Almighty, I feel my temperature rising. You know that song? Come on. That starts playing in my heart, man. I do. You, you know when something's going on on the inside of you, don't you? You can feel it. You can just feel the emotions getting stirred. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. You're just like, oh, just grates on you. And that's exactly where this third-party friend wanted to take the conversation, but I wouldn't compromise. I stood my ground. I said to him, Sir, in adding your obedience to the 613 Jewish laws to Jesus' finished work on the cross, you are essentially declaring that Jesus' precious and innocent blood was insufficient to take away your sin once for all. I don't even know if you're aware you're saying that, but that's exactly what you're saying. Now, I wasn't upset with the man. I don't have a problem with the man, okay? What I was merely troubled by is that the church is still teaching this old covenant foot-binding message of perform to please, do to get, avoid to become. No, oh, friends, we are already there. We are with him. He is with us. To add the law to Jesus' lifeless body on the cross would have been absolute contempt. Why? How is that? Because we would have had to have stared into the swollen face of love and told him that his death was not enough. We would have had to have asked his lifeless body the same question my third-party friend asked me. If we don't use God's law to keep us from sinning, then what do we use? <laughs> Friends, we will discover the right response only when we allow our hearts to be touched and impacted by the persuasive influence of grace. You say, just how powerful is this grace you speak of, Pastor Mark? Well, that's a good question. But let's ask the same question that third-party friend asked me. If we don't use God's law to keep us from sinning, then what do we use? 
Well, I happen to have a scripture for that. Would you like to see some scripture finally? Come on. Amen. <laughs> I happen to have a scripture for that. It is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. These should be as familiar as your shoes are to you. I'm telling you, these are beautiful. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now look at these words. It. What is it? It's grace, right? It teaches us to say no. It doesn't teach us to say no to everything in life. We've got to say yes to some things. But what does it teach us to say no to? Ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I love those scriptures. Friends, through those scriptures right there, you are staring at the persuasive influence of grace. The grace that teaches us to say no. The grace that teaches us to live. The grace that teaches us to wait. And the grace, I love this part, the grace that reminds us that we were redeemed from all wickedness and purified without the help of the law. Do you see any help of the law here? It's all a work of grace. Please make note with these scriptures here that the good works follow the redemption and the purification. So we don't perform to become. It's a response, friends. Do you see that? You see the purification there? Do you see the redemption? And then it ends with eager to do what is good. So it follows it. There is no mention of the law restraining us from ungodliness there. There's no mention of the law restraining us from worldly passions or uncontrolled lives. It is grace, the undiluted and persuasive influence of the gospel that restrains us. Friends, we do not possess a hokey-pokey salvation. Come on, you know what I'm talking about by that? You know, you put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in and you shake it all about, you do the hokey-pokey and you turn yourself around, that's what it's all about. You know, look, it's a silly song, it's a fun song. We've done it at weddings. Every single one of you have done the hokey-pokey somewhere in your life, haven't you? Absolutely. And then that song eventually works its way into the end of the song where it's, you put your whole self in, you put your whole self out. Come on, you put your whole self in, stop. Stop that madness for just a second, okay? You see, that's exactly what the old covenant deeds of the law have taught us. Religion has taught us that we are intermittently in Christ. The right foot in, the right foot out. Religion has taught us that at times we're all the way in, but what about those times when we're all the way out? Kind of like the prodigal son, right? The name of that song couldn't be more fitting because for us to vacillate between I put my righteousness on I take my righteousness off. I put my righteousness on and I shake it all about is nothing more than a hokey pokey salvation, friends. That's all it is. To believe like this is to overlook. It is to walk around the persuasive influence of grace. Friends, I have a newsflash for us. We are all the way in Christ. And there's no way out of Christ. We are justified by grace through faith alone. That's it. In John chapter 6, verse 63, I'm going to show you this scripture in the NIV and then the ESV. He says, the Spirit gives life. Look at these words. The flesh counts for nothing. I don't know how you can walk around that scripture because you don't understand what flesh is apparently because the flesh gets no brownie points the flesh gets no rewards it gets nothing the flesh doesn't get to vote it counts for nothing jesus said he said here the spirit gives life the flesh what is the flesh it's the old programming 
It's the old way of thinking. It's you meeting your own needs and not waiting on Christ. Remember, over here in those other scriptures, it says that the grace of God teaches us to say no and to live self-controlled lives and to wait. The flesh doesn't want to wait, though. It wants its cake and it wants to eat it right now. It doesn't want to wait. So the Spirit gives life, the flesh, the old programming, the old way of thinking counts for nothing, it says. And what was our flesh influenced by? Our flesh was influenced by the law. I mean, everybody grew up, for the most part, law-based, law-centered somehow, uh, old uh, covenant indoctrinated. And so now our flesh has this governor over here. It has this thing that keeps speaking into us. It says here, it counts for nothing. Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you they are full of spirit. They are full of the spirit and life. He said, my words is what counts. This is how you get the spirit. This is how you get the life. It's not by jumping rope. It's not by going through all the hoops that you want to go through. The spirit gives life. The spirit brings fullness to you. Now, I want you to see it in the ESV version. They just kind of shorten it a little bit. I love this. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, that's my mama's version right there, right? Just short and to the point, period. No other questions asked. That's just the way it's going to be. That's the way my mama was, friends. You didn't talk back to her. My mama was faster than Muhammad Ali, man. <laughs> she would just box you once and you were just done, man. You are just on the floor. So you learn very early in life, don't talk back to mama. Mama says something, it doesn't matter if you agree with it or not, you just go along with mama. I love this version. It says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. Come on. You say, Pastor Mark, what is the difference between the flesh and the law? The flesh is the manifestation of our old programming, our old way of thinking. The flesh is the one that likes to drive drunk all the time, friends. Come on. <laughs> the flesh is always setting off the airbags. Did you ever notice that in your own life? This is flesh for you, okay? With Christ and the Spirit, there's always peace. With the flesh, there's always chaos. There's always destruction. It gets off the chain at times and refuses to be restrained by the persuasive influence of grace. The law, on the other hand, refers to the old covenant operating system. It was the old covenant software, if you will. A time when the Jews looked to their own obedience, the way they obeyed the commandments as their only means. It was their barometer of acceptance before God. This is how they knew they were accepted before God is because they just obeyed the laws. So as long as I'm obeying the laws, I must be acceptable before God, even though they couldn't hear his voice. Only the prophets heard his voices. The average man couldn't hear the voice of the Lord. We are so privileged today to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking on the inside of us, guiding us, bearing fruit, just having a conversation, just being a friend. We are so privileged. Every time I sit down to write a message, I always think, Really? I have no idea where I'm going. Not the faintest idea. And it just always amazed me. I just stop. I keep listening to the Spirit. Right. Keep listening to the Spirit. Right. He's always right, friends. He's always right. So their barometer of acceptance before God was they obeyed the commandments. That was it. But sadly, when many believers come to Christ, you know what happens? Immediately, they're placed on a hokey-pokey diet. <laughs> That's the diet today, friends. A meal that mixes the old covenant with the new covenant. You know, in one moment, out the next, never come into the revelation that the old covenant was made obsolete. And that's where I took that third-party friend at the end of that 10-minute conversation. I said, friend, do you understand that the old covenant was made obsolete? He said, where does it say that at? I gave him book. I gave him chapter. I gave him verse. I said, just look it up. He said, well, I don't have my Bible with me. I said, well, then remember and look it up because the old covenant was made obsolete. The entire eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews is about old covenant, new covenant. One passing away and the other emerging from the grave. 
It tells us precisely what happened to the old covenant, the software that the Jews were operating under in order to be right with God, in order to be accepted before God. Friends, I don't know how to say it more plainly, but the old covenant came to a close. There was a funeral. Let's say it like this. It went out of business. The old covenant went into bankruptcy. It was made obsolete. You cannot get parts for it anymore, friends. It was extricated from humanity through the jaws of life. And we see that truth in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. And I want to read this to you from the Weymouth New Testament. It says this. By using the words, a new covenant, Look at these words now. He has made the first one obsolete. That's what I was trying to tell this third party friend. He's made it obsolete. What's the context here? Covenant. The whole chapter is about covenant. We work our way into the last verse of Hebrews chapter 8, and he plainly says the first one was made obsolete. I can't even imagine how many times I must have looked over that verse. I'm telling you, when you're indoctrinated, you can't see, friends. So it says right here that it was made obsolete. And then it says, but whatever is decaying. Now, if something is decaying, it's typically because it's dead, right? I mean, you don't usually have decay before death. Uh, you have rot maybe a little bit, but I mean, decaying is when it is just breaking down and getting gnarly, friends. But that means it was dying, it says here, but whatever is decaying and showing signs of old age is not far from disappearing altogether. And it did disappear. It disappeared in those days. It didn't just disappear 2,000 years later because people started preaching the new covenant. No, we're just here to remind you that it already disappeared. It's gone. And the old covenant disappeared, friends. When you ask, when Jesus was crucified and raised from the grave. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, we find these words. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. It's not even called a translation. The message Bible is a paraphrase, but Eugene Peterson, he had a way with words, didn't he? He could make it so plain, yet so comical at times, but yet so serious. I mean, he just, he was gifted to write the message paraphrase. Look what he says. He says, watch out for those people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. Come on, everybody knows people like that, right? They use big words, big fancy words, intellectual double talk, and they don't even know what they're saying eventually. They get tripped up over their own words in a sense. It says they want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Big fancy talking. This is why the little kids could come under Christ. Now imagine all he wants to use is some heavenly language to five-year-olds and six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. They wouldn't have understood a word he said. He made it plain, and those who had ears to hear understood what he said, but those who refused could not even understand the simplest things. I mean, even when Jesus would take it and break it down into a parable, kind of things like I do all the time, break it down into a simple denominator, he, they still couldn't understand it because they wouldn't allow their ears to hear beyond their doctrine. Next scriptures. The Apostle Paul says these words. He says, everything of God, I love this, gets expressed in Him, not you. In Him, first of all, so you can see Him clearly. See, He's always expressing. He's always wanting to show us this gospel of grace. He's always wanting to show us His unconditional love. He's always wanting to show us His extravagant tenderness. But it takes us opening our heart to this gospel to be able to see Him clearly. I love this part. Eugene Peterson wrote these words. He said, you don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without Him. When you come to Him, that fullness comes together 
for you too. I had a minister two or three years ago said, no, we don't have the fullness of Christ. I said, what? What part did he hold back on? No, the scriptures tell me we have the fullness of Christ. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just telling you, this is the way I see it. Well, I, brother, I think you're wrong. We don't have the fullness of Christ. No, we have the fullness of Christ, friends. It's just all these things that get in the way, the airbags, the restraints of the indoctrinations. They just get in the way from that fullness being expressed in him. That's all. That's all that's going on there. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. In other words, it's no longer the whole man in, the whole man out. The whole man in and you shake yourself about. Friends, we can quit convulsing over the fact that the old covenant was rendered obsolete. Let go of it, would you? It wasn't your friend. Let go of the empty traditions of men. Let go of your telescope, your microscope, and your horoscope. Jesus has laid his stethoscope over your new heart, a heart that is not compromised by the heart murmur of the old covenant when you come under this gospel of grace. The old covenant is stuck only in the man's way of thinking. That's it, friends. Jesus doesn't save you with an old covenant. He saves you with a new covenant. A new covenant, he said. I'm going to put inside of you. And so it's just stuck up here in the man's thinking. But the good news is, is that man's mind can be transformed. How, you ask? Through the constant drip of the persuasive influence of grace. That's how it happened to you. That's how it happened to me. Friends, our salvation is not determined by atmospheric pressure. And our salvation is not determined by old covenant pressure. We have been given the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't like pressure. And because I work in sales, I know what pressure sounds like. And I know how to deal with it. I've been dealing with it a long time. If I don't want something you've got, I just simply, in a kind way, just say, look, that's not a good fit for me. I don't like old covenant pressure. I didn't like the demands of the old covenant pressure. And so we're not under these kind of pressures. We have been given the fullness of Christ. I see that in the scriptures right there. We rest today. We rest in what? The persuasive influence of grace. And the scriptures say that everything gets expressed in Him. And through Him, this revelation that we're receiving of the finished work of the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ has been expressed through Him. And we are the beneficiaries of it. Next scriptures. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. Do you see that? It's not something you figure out or achieve. Achieve means you've worked for it. You've labored for it. You've studied for it. It means self-effort is what it means. The scriptures say it's not something we figure out. This comes by revelation. The gospel of grace is a revelation. We don't figure it out. You'll spend a lifetime. You'll never figure it out. Because it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense why God would be so merciful and gracious to us. It makes no sense why the owner of the universe would be mindful of man. He says, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised. See, this is the law. Or keeping a long list of laws. No, I love this. He says, no, you're already in. Remember that? It's not hokey pokey, friends. You're already in. You're insiders. Not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you. I love these words. Look at them. Destroying the power of sin. Does sin still exist? Yes. Do we still commit it from time to time? Of course. But what does he say here? He says he's destroyed the power of it. He's destroyed the effectiveness of sin at one time. Under this new covenant, this is our benefit, friends. Forget not all of his benefits. Next scriptures. Paul would write these words. He says, if it's an initiation ritual you're after, You've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water 
was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as He did Christ. When you were stuck, <laughs> like quicksand, you know, just stuck. And the more you struggled, the deeper you got into it. And you were looking for a fair weather friend, but nobody was there to help you. He said, this is how it was for you. You were in the middle of an ocean of quicksand, stuck. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. In other words, at the same time. That's what it means. At the very same time. When Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. How do we know? Because we were crucified with Him. We were buried in baptism with Him and raised with resurrection life and power. Isn't that awesome? God brought you alive right along with Christ. And then He says, think of it. In other words, Take time to ponder what was just said. Think about that. I love these words. He says, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Can you see it? Christ was nailed to the cross. We were nailed to the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross. And that old arrest warrant Friends, I don't know if you know this, but when they have a warrant, they don't have to politely ask to come in. If you tell them no, they just get the ramrod and they'll just knock your door in, friends. And so we had an arrest warrant out on us at one time. The enemy had a field day with us at one time. But according to these scriptures, that old code, that old arrest warrant has been nailed to the cross. I love that part. Friends, if you were to take an automobile and crush it down into a cube, that vehicle wouldn't weigh any less than before it was crushed, even though afterwards it would occupy less space. And if a man adds his pitiful contributions to Jesus' bloody cross, it will not amplify the power of the cross. Friends, when the Lord spoke those words into my heart yesterday, I thought, wow. See, we're always looking for ways to amplify what He's done for us. We're always looking for ways to amplify our security, if you will. Look, you're secure, friend. You're as safe as you're ever going to be. You're protected. Remember, love always protects. That's the first thing it says. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. How many times have you heard that word love can be substituted for God? God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes in our best friends. So to add our contributions to Jesus' bloody cross does not amplify the power of the cross. However, adding man's contributions to the cross, it does do one thing, and that is it devalues Jesus' sacrifice in that man's way of thinking. Because now it's you plus Jesus that are doing everything. So what does it do? It devalues. You know, I learned a long time ago at the company I worked for, I said, why don't we sell these used? Why don't we sell any used ones? It's all brand new. And a man said to me, because you devalue the nameplate by selling used. And if we add anything at all to His grace. We've devalued the nameplate that hung above His head. We've devalued His sacrifice. Friends, a man is not justified. That word justified means declared innocent. A man is not justified by anything he's done regardless of the praises from man, regardless of the awards from his employer, or regardless of the fame from Hollywood. He is not justified by any of those means. We are justified by Jesus' blood, period. We are justified freely by His grace. We are justified by the faith of Christ. 
the scriptures tell us that Jesus was raised for our justification. We see that truth in Romans chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. And that's how the fourth chapter ends. And then we walk right into chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look at these words. God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. Look at these words. And was raised to life for our justification. That's the 25th verse right there. He was raised to life for our justification. And then as we step over into chapter 5, look at that. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, how? Through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I want to ask you a question. If the greatest gift ever known to mankind was given without obeying a single law, then why in the world would man want to put himself back under a hokey pokey gospel, which is no gospel at all? Why would you want to do that? Does it make sense? We simply believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead and in that moment, not two seconds later, not ten minutes later, in that moment, we are declared righteous. That very moment, righteous. Our good deeds are the response from the revelation of the Father's goodness. That's where they come from. Law-keeping to make ourselves more acceptable in the Father's eyes are no more than empty traditions and superstitions. That's all. Daddy has pronounced us innocent. Let those words ring in your heart. I'm innocent. You're just not not guilty. You are innocent. Never again will he scan our fingerprints. Never again will he sample our DNA. Never again will he do a background check on us. Why? Because love is not fault finding and love keeps no record of wrongs. There are no records. Oh, you can bring up CODIS if you want to. How many of you know what CODIS is? That's that database where they search for all the fingerprints in the world. And you can lay some fingerprints on that thing and within seconds it will tell you if, if those belong to anybody and 8 billion people. Daddy doesn't have a machine like that, friends. We are declared righteous in His eyes. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 28, we find these words. Therefore, now here's where I really want to drive home the point. Very simple here. I just want to wrap it up with some scriptures here. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Do you notice I'm taking it a little bit slow here? Not because I'm afraid I'm going to stumble over my words, but because I want people to hear this, friends. By the deeds of the law, that's obeying the Ten Commandments, that's obeying any one or all of the 613 Jewish commandments. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, in other words, if you were to do the law, and do it perfectly. He says there, there shall no flesh be justified. That means nobody can be declared innocent in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is what it's for, is to tell you as an unbeliever, you're a sinner. It's not there to tell believers that we're sinners. We are not sinners. We are sons and daughters of God. We are saints is what we are. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law. In other words, it's saying without the help of the law. Apart from something means without the help of, okay? But now, apart from the law, without the help of the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And look at this. And all are justified freely by His grace 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you see any law keeping here, friends? Not a mention of it. Conversely, it's telling you we're not justified by the deeds of the law. Where then is boasting? You know, boasting is, come on, it's just bragging, isn't it? Tooting your own horn. Where's boasting at? He says, it is excluded. It doesn't count. It's like a ballot that shows up with nothing circled on it. It just doesn't count. You can't count it. It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified. Remember, that means declared innocent. We maintain. In other words, we're not going to back down here. We maintain. We stand our ground. We stand committed on this. No matter if we get persecuted or not, we maintain that a person is declared innocent by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, without the help of the law, friends. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that simple? I know you've seen that a hundred times, but isn't that awesome? I mean, how can you walk through those scriptures and then not let them stick? That's like walking through mud and not having any residue left on your feet. You would go, what just happened here? See, this is the power of indoctrination. When you get so indoctrinated, you cannot see beyond your paradigm. You refuse to see. You want to argue. You want to get into telescopes and microscopes and horoscopes. Let's put the stethoscope of Christ on your new heart. You don't have the same heart anymore. He took it out. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart. So beautiful. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified. What does justified mean? Declared innocent, right? Knowing that a man is not declared innocent by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Look at these words. And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, shall no flesh be justified. He said the same thing in Romans that he said over here, just kind of added some different words, but he said it's the same message, friends. It's just so plain. I mean, it says right here, and I've used these scriptures with my third-party friend, and he's just saying, no, but you know, man's got laws. You know, you know, if you go through a stop sign and a cop is right there, he's got a law, he's going to arrest you. You see, that's a person who's searching for their next words and not listening to yours, not listening to the Holy Spirit. I think we all can do that at times. We're so busy. We're so occupied. I tell you what, the best friend that you'll ever have is the friend that you allow to speak into your life. And they'll feel the same thing about you. Quit doing all the talking. Listen to your friend's heart. In Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 39, he said, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes, I love these words, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. That means past sins, present sins, the sins you'll commit on the way home from church today, <laughs> next week's sins, tomorrow's sin. It doesn't matter. We're set free from every sin. They don't stick. Through Him, everyone who believes 
is set free from every sin, a justification, look at these words, you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You couldn't be justified under the law of Moses. It was sin by sin with him. It was lamb by lamb. It was sacrifice by sacrifice. But you couldn't get set free forever. And I took the liberty to read toward the end of that chapter. And if you would continue to read that 13th chapter of the book of Acts, you know what you would discover? That Paul and Barnabas were expelled from Antioch, which means they were run out of town on a rail. By who? The religious leaders. Why? Because they continued to preach the message that declares that every believer has been set free from every sin, a justification we were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Friends, don't think it strange when grace the undiluted gospel is not received. Persecution is not the evidence of wrong doctrine or even wrong delivery. It is the evidence that the persuasive influence of grace has rubbed up against old covenant, shake and bake, hokey pokey, how do I keep myself from sinning law indoctrinated people? That's all. That's where persecution comes from. All right, Pastor Mark. You've made your points. I got you. Let's see if I can remember them. The flesh counts for nothing. Right? We are not declared righteous by our deeds. I got that point too. And we are not justified by the law. Now what? Now what do I do? I know that. I get it. Okay, what now? Live life and see good days. Live a new covenant life. Don't put yourself or even your friends or your family or other strangers, don't put them under conditions. There are no conditions. Quit looking to the law to stop you from sinning. We look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. Circulate the message that believers are made perfect once for all by Jesus' once for all sacrifice. Cast off, come on, cast off your hokey pokey mindset that puts the whole man in and then takes the whole man out. These are nothing more than convulsions and charades from the old covenant, friends, and we're not under that nonsense. We are justified by faith alone in the shedding of Christ's blood. But, 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 come on, but, get your butt out of the way. My former pastor used to say, sheep follow goats, but. Yeah, come on, get your butt out of the way. <laughs> come on, but, how do I keep myself from sinning? If I don't use the law, do you hear that scratch record? How do I keep myself from sin if I don't use the law? How do I use myself from sin if I don't? How do I use? Do you hear that broken record? It's been playing in our psyche for a long time. Friends, a man will never be free if he keeps on feeding on a hokey dokey mixture of law and grace. We stop sinning by realizing, coming to the revelation that love, love keeps no record of wrongs. We stop sinning by the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. We stop sinning by the persuasive influence of grace at work in our soul, our mind, our wills, our emotions. What kind of grace is this, you ask? It's the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. It's the grace that teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. I'm talking about the grace that trains us to wait, 
to tarry for the blessed hope no matter how difficult or how dire your situations become you wait on him flesh says i need to get involved i'm going to help this situation and if you do it once it's like a fix of drugs you got to go back again and then again and again eventually you're relying solely upon the flesh you wait on him you wait on every promise you wait on everything he's whispered into the chambers of your heart friends i'm talking about the grace that comes through our great god and savior jesus christ the one who redeemed us from all wickedness and purified us without the assistance of the law we are dead to the law Christ is the end of the law. Friends, we are no longer under the law, but we are under the persuasive influence of grace. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The persuasive influence of grace serves as the jaws of life to extract believers out of the mangled wreck of the old covenant indoctrination. As the drip of grace, the undiluted gospel, saturates our hearts, it serves an eviction notice to the question. You say, what question is that, Mark? You know, if I don't use the law to stop me from sinning, then what do I use? See, friends, that's the problem. You don't look to a what, you look to a who. The who is employed. The who is the sweet Holy Spirit. The one who loves us when we're on top of Mount Everest. And the one who loves us on the shores of the Dead Sea. Daddy loves us with a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. A love that never fails. He loves us with a love that is patient and kind and a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, Jesus didn't give his life to put us back under the law. If he did, then we are in trouble because the scriptures I just read said, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And if Jesus put me back under that, I can't be justified. Then we are declared innocent by the faith of Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Let me ask you a question. What is our response when we are enlightened with such revelation? Love. Love is our response. Graciousness is our response. Mercy is the manifestation and result. Please, friends, don't fall for the ancient trickery that your attitude alone determines altitude, we are already seated with Him in heavenly places. The lifestyle believers live or the habits that they struggle with are not the determining factor of their righteousness. The factor that determines our righteousness is the once-for-all persuasive influence of grace operating in our lives. Friends, to add the law to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is absolute contempt. You see, in doing so, you will have to stare love in the face and declare to him that his shed blood was insufficient to take away our sins once for all. Jesus didn't die an innocent death so that we could possess a hokey-pokey salvation. There is no in and out in Christ. Once in, always in. Once his, always his. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh and the law are no help at all. The law was rendered obsolete and extracted from humanity through the jaws of life, the jaws of life that spoke from the cross. What did the jaws of life say? They said, Father, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. And it extracted us right out of our sinful nature, friends. And it's supposed to extract us out of the old covenant, yet so many want to remain there. Friends, an automobile can be crushed into a small cube, yet it weighs no less than before it was crushed. And if a man adds his own gunpowder to Jesus' finished work on the cross, it will not amplify the explosion and the power of his sacrifice. The Big Bang only devalues Jesus' sacrifice in that man's ability to see grace. Folks, may I remind us once again that everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. It's a justification. It's a declaration of innocence that comes one way. It comes through Jesus Christ through the persuasive influence of grace. Father, I thank you so much I thank you, Father, that you take deep truths and you make them simple. A child could understand this. It's when we come to you with an open heart and we come to the end of ourself, when we realize the flesh counts for nothing and that we're willing to listen, but yet we're so involved, we're so garrulous, we always want to engage in conversation. We want to do all the talking, but when we stop to listen to the sweet Holy Spirit, he guides us into all truth and righteousness. He leads us into green pastures and beside still waters. I thank you, Father, that I can take absolutely zero credit for anything in life. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. The Holy Spirit speaking through us. I thank you, Father, for the persuasive influence of grace that is operating in the body of Christ, working like the jaws of life to extract them from the car wreck of old covenant ideology and bring them and have them stand as sons of God and daughters of God, knowing exactly who they are in Christ. That is my prayer, Daddy that this gospel would proliferate across the nation and across the world and people would see that it's Christ alone. No more, no less. In Jesus' name, amen.